Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick Westray. I'm Jason Black. This is a podcast. This is one of the very few <laughs> podcasts in the world. We're so lucky. <laughs> one, just one, one of the eight or nine podcasts that exist. This, if this is your first time tuning into a podcast, this or any other, this is a podcast about fandom. It's about LGBTQAI plus people and their fandom of iconic female performers, also known as divas. Yep. We're here to celebrate. We're here to bring light. We're here to bring some joy. As you know, sometimes it's Nick and I just fanning out. And sometimes we have a guest. And sometimes that guest is a bona fide diva in and of it herself. So, I mean, babe, yes, could you true. die? We do, we do have a true diva guest this week. Before we introduce our diva guest, who is this podcast for, Jason? Uh, this podcast is for still being here. This is a podcast for sadistic nymphomaniacs. This podcast is for all of our cat people. This is a podcast for the most fascinating women in the world. This is a this podcast. Th- this is for the young ones. This is a podcast for when you're trying to get that new groove. <laughs> this is a podcast for all of our divas who speak ten plus languages. And who's our guest today, oh Jay? God. Who is our who do we have, diva babe? guest? Who do we have, babe? Who do we, we have, have? We have Tell actress, me, who do we have? educator, who do we have, in this activist, icon. Alex Billings on the show. You know her from Transparent. Oh, We've reached the big time. Connors <laughs> and, and from Broadway. Hi, Alex. Hi, kids. We either wanted to win a million dollars for our podcast or get you on it. So uh, I think check. Uh, I think <laughs> I think we won. Okay. If, if if that's what you think, then I'm I'll go that's what I'll go along with. <laughs> Is this your first time hearing or being on a podcast? I've been on so many podcasts, I don't even know what to tell you. The only thing I do is sit in front of this freaking computer screen and go on podcasts. That's my life. My life is a podcast. In fact, I'm writing a book, and I think I'm going to call it Alexandra Billings, A Life in Podcasts. Should I sit on a podcast? Should I sit on a podcast? Let me sit on a podcast. Give me a podcast, and I'll sit on it. Yeah, that's... I like that sitting on a podcast. Sitting on a podcast. I literally am with one of my friends. His name is Mitchell J. Fang. He's one of my friends. He's a great actor from Chicago. And he and I do this thing. It's so dumb. But we have so much fun doing it. We're doing it on the live Insta every Monday. And we're trying to turn it into a podcast. But everyone in the world has these things. And you guys look like you're having, like, this looks like fun. But I have this feeling it's not as fun as it looks. I have a feeling it like there's an enormous amount of work. And I'm not into work. I'm not, I, that's why I have people that work for me. I don't like to do any work. I like to perform and I like to talk and I like to teach and that's it. I'm not doing anything else. And I have a feeling this is a lot of other shit. Truth. Truth. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. Truth. Well, I mean, if you, you're fabulous though, you could get a producer, you could get a line producer, you could get a couple people working on it and, and put it out there with doing minimal work and make other people you know what it is though it's 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 the it's the weekly thing i think i think what people don't talk about is it's like it's that it's every week you know so i think that's where it where it seems like where all of a sudden we're well, naked we're realizing you, because this is the thing that my spouse and i were talking about where she said you could record like two or three in one day can't you do that and then you don't have to do it every week you can we have we that's true you can 
But the thing is, yeah, I I I I, lo- I love doing them, but I also I, I think I'm sort of at the end of my rope. I can't because I can't. I don't even want to do one now. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think the thing is that all of us. Here's the thing that I really hope doesn't change because I I, I love social media. I love Instagram. I love TikTok. I'm still on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like I'm one of the few elderly people still on Facebook. I love all of the things. My fear, because Instagram, I've been on it for a while now, and it has changed into the most, and TikTok too, has changed into the most interesting, fascinating, politically aware, fun, aggravating places. And I, my fear is that once the world begins to blossom into this new thing, that this is going to go away. And I really hope it doesn't. I really hope we keep some of it. That's my hope. Well, I think that what happened also in the pandemic was everyone was really like, this is when I'm going to make my podcast because I'm just sitting around the house, you know, and whereas, I mean, even when we started this three years ago, we were like, oh, everyone has a podcast. We're already late to the party. My hope is that once everyone goes outside again, all the podcasts will go away and we will, you know. You'll be the, the last one, last one standing. Podcast. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Absolutely. They'll be forced yeah. to listen There's to so us. There's so many divas still left to cover. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's nobody else. So really, it's you're the last. That's it. You're the choice. Well, Alex, can we ask you our yes. favorite question? Who's yes. your diva? Well, Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt, finally. Um, would you like to hear a little Eartha Kitt? Would you like to hear a little Eartha Kitt? She's one of my favorite people to do. Oh my please. God. Oh, do her. Sorry, yes. not the bat. Yes, please. Okay. Um, I think I'll sing. What should I sing? Uh, how, about, <laughs> how, about, how about Eartha sings Britney? How about that? Love it. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Are you kidding? Oops. I did it again. I played with your heart. <laughs> oh, uh, how about um, uh, Eartha sings. Um, thanks. Eartha sings Ethel Merman. Um, Everything's coming up roses upon me and for you. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm out of my mind. This is this is shit I do like by myself. That's how crazy. Oh, have you ever thought about doing an Earth a one woman show? I really, I really should. I, I did, I did, I did this show the longest. I don't know why I'm screaming. I did this show. I'm like elderly, so I think I have to yell. Can you hear Please. me? Um, so I did this show. <laughs> I did this show like a hundred years ago, and I did. I stole from Christine Petty, who's one of my favorite people on the mm. planet, and I did all of these women that audition that auditioned for Annie that didn't get it. So it's the same thing that Christine's been doing. She's the originator of it. I'm just. A, you know, an idiot. And so I did that. And I did Eartha and Joan Rivers and blah, 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 and Hepburn and all these things. And I, I don't think I could sustain it. I don't think I could do, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do that for more than like 10 minutes. Like you would vocal I cry it. or something? I think it's just, it's exhausting yeah. to be, to like encompass. I do Hepburn a lot. I do a one woman show called Katie's Corner where I'm Hepburn <laughs> for about an hour. Wow. It's so dumb and it's a complete waste <laughs> of time. And I literally, you really, honestly, don't, I'm begging you don't go, but I, I, I'm on stage for an hour as Hepburn and improvising. There's no script. I literally just walk out and start talking. And I have um, Sean Abley, who's an actor and my director, and he and I talk to each other. And he has surprised these, uh, he has surprised guests that he's put together and activities for me to do. Like one time, Catherine made a 
cake, <laughs> which is, you can, this, it's, it's just a waste of your, you can go on the YouTube like the kids do, and you can put in Katie's Corner and you can watch me make pumpkin pancakes. That's the worst thing you've I mean, seen. I love it. It sounds deranged. And that's what we love it's on this podcast. It's completely insane. It's a ridiculous, it's, no, it's not. So she's the only one I can do for a long period of time. That's a very specific form of diva worship. Yeah, it is. The energy that Eartha brings is, is I mean, Nick and I have just kind of plowed through some uh, of her interviews, and she is always intense. There's always She's always intense. And, well, the great the focus is a great word. The, the the great thing about Eartha is her. Do, do, are you familiar with any? Are you familiar with her life? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so cra- she's had a, a crazy those, story. Well. Her life, much like Billie Holiday's, was a tragedy that that, that is um, almost uh, ind- indescribable. Um, sexual assault and abuse, uh, physical, emotional. It, it's just, and it's compounded. It happened time after time. After Rejected time. from her mother yeah. and her aunt and like all of these constant She picked rejection. cotton and she, I, I mean, it was just insane. So- her intensity, I believe, this is, I, don't, I didn't know the woman, but her intensity and specificity, especially in her performances, was her bringing back her power mm. because she, she spent so much of her time mm. losing it and having to give it away and being a victim over and over and over and over again that I think that one of the reasons she was so focused on whatever it was she, in every performance she did is because she was taking back the thing that was stolen from her. And you can see it. I've been three feet away from her and I've been a hundred feet away from her. And it's the exact same feeling, the exact same feeling. Wow. You know, it's kind of like she, she is the spotlight. Like she doesn't need mm. a spotlight because she is it. She talks about her confidence too. And she calls, she calls it her hunger. She calls her confidence, her hunger. And she talks about growing up that she didn't have enough to eat and she would have to compete with animals to eat. And so she was, she's saying, you know, that's her hunger in her that she wants to always be able to take care of herself and she will fight and claw and scrape to get every crumb she can. And that kind of, I love thinking of it that way, that it's her hunger for life that makes her so voracious. Well, and that's great. And there's this, there's a, an interview. It's, I don't know who it's with. I don't recognize the interviewer. It sounds to me like it's a BBC human, but she's sitting outside. She doesn't have a stitch of makeup on. Mm. And they're talking about marriage and all kinds of things. And all of a sudden he asks her, about compromise and how she feels about being with a man and and that love is compromise. And she goes into this laughter that is so disturbing. It's so jarring. Mm. It's not joyful. It's not from a joyful place. It's from some other place in her. And she talks about compromise and she says, for what? But are you willing to compromise within a relationship? To compromise? What is compromising? Compromising for what? Compromising for what reason? To compromise for what? To compromise. What is compromise? If a man came into your life, wouldn't you want to compromise? (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) A man comes into my life and I have to compromise? You must think about that one again. (laughs) 
man comes into my life and you have to compromise for what? For what? For what? A relationship is a relationship that has to be earned, not to compromise for. And I love relationships. I think they're fantastic. They're wonderful. I think they're great. I think there's nothing in the world more beautiful than falling in love. But falling in love for the right reason, falling in love for the right purpose, falling in love, falling in love. When you fall in love, what is there to compromise about? Mm. For what? For what am I compromising? So she, she, <laughs> this wasn't bargaining. I think was not a part of her nature. So her life early on, that was all about being a, a, a victim of circumstance. Once she began to find her power, once she found that she could sing, and Kit, listen, Kit doesn't isn't a, 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 first of all a trained singer, or even a, a a great singer. She's a miracle of a singer, and there's mm. a difference. She's not technically. Uh, profound she's not uh, trained she's not that's not what it's about it's a largeness and there is history in her voice yeah you can literally hear yes. the reverberations of history in her voice whether you like the sound or you don't you cannot deny that fact and i think that's why she laughs at that word compromise because she says even i do that i don't do that in any part of my life why would i do that in the most important part She's so, and this word is overused, but singular, you know, there's a singularity that is, is so divine, so perfect. And so it's, it's the definition of a star. I love how she, she takes herself completely seriously and not seriously at all. You know, she has that amazing duality. Do you know what I mean? I think you're exactly right there. I saw her in, um, well, I met her uh, only once uh, she was playing at a club called the Gentry in Chicago, which is where I used to sing. It's a very used to be. They're not there anymore. Very small club back in the uh, 70s, 80s and 90s. Lasted for a really long time, long time for a nightclub. And I sang there for years. And one night it was the Gentry on State Street, I believe. And one night she was booked to sing because she was going through town in whatever show she was in. And there was the dressing room, you know, was that big. It was a nightclub. It was, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's office that they tried to move things around because Miss Kit was coming. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I usually got ready at home. I didn't have a dressing room. So I came I, just to see her. I wasn't in the show. It was her. It was her show. Just an hour with her and a piano and, you know, 30 screaming gays. <laughs> and so I know Friday night, like midnight. And so I come in and to because I wanted to see her before she came on stage. So I turned to my friend, Eric, who was the manager who brought her there. And I said, where is she? And he said, she, she's in the office and she's getting ready. I said, you put Eartha Kitt in a freaking office to, what is she like? Where's her makeup? Like by the fucking, what the, is she getting, is she using a computer screen to help get, what did you do to this woman? <laughs> he said, no, no, we set up a mirror and we cleaned it and it looks fabulous. And there's a little, couch and i was like really and he goes oh yeah it's gorgeous i said okay i said because you know this is an international star this isn't anyway okay good 
<laughs> I said, well, I'd like to meet her. I want to say hello before she goes right. on stage. This is an absolutely true story. I have actually two really good, really, really, really. The second one I'll save for the end because it's the greatest Eartha Kid story you've oh, ever heard wait. in your life. <sighs> so I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So this is the kind of shit that happens to me. So I go. And I said, this is actually the second time I met her, not the first. This is the second time I've met her twice. So I said, um, I want to go say hello to her. I don't think she's going to remember me, but I want to say hello. And he goes, great. So we go up to the door and he knocks on the door and I open the door and it's a mess. It's a mess. It's got like a, a purple thing thrown over the bar stool chair and it's got a, a picture of Judy and she's like, like it's just bad. It's bad. Ugly glamour. Just bad. And I, you know, you, you figure the gays can't, uh, anyway, so. Some gays said, are helpless in that so regard. Well, sometimes I think it was just they got famished. So I said, all right, <laughs> you know, she opens the door. She was very gracious. She's a tiny, little, itty bitty person. Tiny. She's a little, itty bitty, teeny, tiny lady with very small hands and very small feet and a mm. very small torso and an enormous head. <laughs> I mean, like a Macy's Day float head. Like it's a, it was, and her eyes are, are just as huge. They, they were almost like not real. And it was a little frightening because she opened the door and, and first of all, she's so small that you just go, my God. I mean, she's mm. really, it was like, geez, you're a small person, but she looks at you the way she looks like she's on stage. There's no, like I'm Eartha and I'm just hanging out. She's like Eartha in your face. So she was standing there, done, face, lashed, lipped, lined, wigged, bejeweled, bedazzled, done. There was no beforehand. Uh, so I opened the door and I'm sitting. So, and I go, and I, like I said, I had met her before, which I'll tell you the story later, but I had met her before. But I didn't want to say that because I knew she would not remember me because the story I'm going to tell you later is <laughs> no one would remember anything after this story. So I didn't say, do you remember me? Because I hate that. So I just wanted to say, Miss Kit, I work here too. Thank you for coming and bye. And she opens the door and she says, literally, she opens the door and she goes, hello. <laughs> and I, with the O lasting for about an hour and a half, and I well, like went through the center of my heart. And I didn't know what to say. And I got very confused. This was a very, very long time ago. This was like in the 80s. So I was very confused and really high and very drunk. And I said, because I was meeting her, and I said, instead of, um, it's very nice to meet you. Have a great show. I just wanted to say hi. Instead of doing that, I say, hello to you too. <laughs> <laughs> so literally, it's like I threw it back in her face, and she—this is this will tell you the kind of person Eartha Kid is. She looked at me, and she just looked with the with the <laughs> like look, and I and I—it's one of those things where you like the stuff's coming out of your mouth, and you want to grab it and shove it back in your face, but it's too late because it's already out of your face. And I tried to grab it, but it was too late. And I'm like, this is the end. This is it. This is the end. This is the end. And she goes, that was fantastic. <sighs> and closes the door. <laughs> She's the greatest. And she came out and performed 
it was packed. I mean, they're probably, uh, the gentry would hold like maybe 25 people. There were probably a hundred people literally packed in this little gay bar. And she sang, she was supposed to sing for an hour and she was on tour. So she'd been singing all weekend. She sang for two and a half hours, wow. just her and just a piano. And she took requests. <laughs> she took requests. Like people were going, sing melancholy baby come to me like she would just say <laughs> something about this makes me want to cry this kind of dedication to her fan base mm. do you know like and i knew that she you know she she was really receptive to her gay fans back in the 80s and the 90s and was a huge advocate for them and so for oh, yeah. her to, to share that kind of love and to share that tiny room and be the diva that she is i feel like she's the diva in in, in you know walking out of the bathroom like she is the diva of this podcast and that well i want to tell you something that's really that's really important that we remember um I don't know how old all of you are, but I'm 59 years old, and I this is my second viral plague. The first viral plague hit our community and killed most every single one of my friends. So when Eartha was there, most of that room was very, very sick. Very sick. Some men that were in that room had purple blotches on their face. Some weighed maybe 80 to 90 pounds. Some had to keep going back and forth to the bathroom. Every 10 minutes, the AZT beepers would go off. So it was a very strange time. And I really believe that's the reason she stayed for so long. I really believe she not only knew that, because she understands tragedy and she understands loss. And people are people Mm. to her. They always have been. Because she would constantly say, humanity is, humanity does. She would always say that. Humanity is, Mm. humanity does. So we have to remember that back in those days, there weren't a lot of performers that did that. And Eartha was one of them that did. Very few. Very, very few. What was your first memory of Eartha? That I have of like seeing her? Or just or hearing, hearing her, her or yeah. having her come into your existence and you were like, who is that fascinating? I mean, the most fascinating. Well, I, the who first time I saw her, well, the first time I knew of her was on a TV show 100 years ago in the 60s called Batman. And there was a character called Catwoman. And it was originated by an actress uh, named Julie Newmar, who was a sort of a starlet in the 1950s. You can see her in a, in a film called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. She's one of the brides, actually. She's very tall, gorgeous. And she played Catwoman for a season, I think, or two seasons. I actually don't remember how long. And then it was she left. I think she left. And then Eartha Kitt took over. And that was the first time I saw her and the relationship between uh catwoman and batman became so charged for me mm-hmm. and there was something about her voice that called to me which catwoman i said ridiculous nonsense foolish prattle how can batgirl be the best anything when catwoman is around <laughs> no best dressed list is complete without the addition of the queen of criminals the princess of plunder yours untruly right manx and angora right in any comparison between batgirl and myself she runs a poor third ah but i can gentlemen and i have you ladies with your fancy hairdos what do you know about beauty 
After you suffer the effects of my hair-raising balm, you will never be able to raise your heads in public again. Then we'll see who's the fairest of them all. No, not our hair. Anything but that. <laughs> And then I started to research her, and this is back in the day before Space Machines. You know, if you wanted to find something out, you had to go to a big place with a lot of books called the library, kids. <laughs> That's back in the day. You don't have to do that anymore. You can sit on your big ass and, like, just punch buttons. But back in my day, you had to take bus number three down to the corner. We call that vintage research. Listen, <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing, is that in the 1980s, in 1981 through 80, about five, I worked in the drag scene in Chicago. And I worked at a place called Club Victoria. I worked at a place called Lacage, uh, different drag bars. And I ended up at a place called The Baton, which is a very, very famous club that hosts a, a pageant called Miss Continental, which is a very high profile contest for trans women. Candace Kane um, is a former Miss Continental. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So uh, Candace and I have known each other since there was sand so <laughs> she's very old and very ugly it's very sad <laughs> anyway so and talent free talent free so anyway nothing, nothing. no no we should call her so anyway <laughs> I, I i was working at the baton and this is back in the day when you had to do impersonations you had to do like be like you had the people would come to see female impersonators so they would come to see judy garland or diana ross or billy holiday or you know liza minnelli and i didn't do that that's not what i did i lip-synced to broadway show tunes that i would use my little tape recorder for look it up kids google it mm -hmm. and i would put it up to the tv and record like monologues from like all about eve and then tack a song on at the end and lip-sync it to i was out of my yes. mind i want to see this but you were like it's no, you don't. But so anyway, so but then one day I thought, you know, I look a little bit like Eartha, a little. And this is a very long time ago when I was younger. And I was also far away, like at a big six. <laughs> and so I she Eartha, who always kept up with the times, recorded a 12-inch version of a song called Where Is My Man, which I don't want to be alone, where is my baby? Which is a great song. Yes. And there was a big, long, it's back in the day with the albums. You can Google that what an album is. It's a big round thing with a hole in the middle. And it, she recorded the long version of it. I don't want to be alone, where is my baby?
So that was the first character that I did was Eartha Kitt. And once I started doing her, I made, because we worked for tips back in the day, you know, you lip sync and people throw, literally, literally throw dollar bills at you (laughs) back in the day. And so I would come out as Eartha and have a big silver bucket, peckered all over with um, white daisies and uh, rhinestones. And instead of them throwing, I would hold the bucket out and they'd throw it in the bucket. She made more money from me, I'm telling you, hundreds of dollars. So she not only became the first icon, well, Judy was the first icon, but she was the first icon for me that made me a bucket full of money. Ah, (laughs) Yes, Eartha. Why do you think why do you think people responded so hard to her when you were doing that impersonation? Like, I is it just because she's so iconic and you know her right away? Like, you were like, oh, I because you know some you know like it's like oh, I know exactly who this is. And I well, can there's something about to- all the divas that that's true. There's all of our icons or all of the gay icons are like that. Bet. Uh, Judy, Liza, Barbara, mm-hmm. all the women are like that. And let's remember, let's be very, very clear about what we're talking about here. We're talking about queer culture. Mm-hmm. The reason, and these women will tell you this, the reason these women are famous, Bette Midler says this all the time, mm-hmm. is because of us. We make them stars, we make them famous, and we keep them employed. And this is something Miss Madonna needs to remember, honey, because I, 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 I'm not a big Madonna fan. I'm not. I'm not a big Madonna fan. However, I do have a modicum of respect for what she's created, but she needs to be a little bit more grateful to her gaze because we will, we, we put you in this place. We can't listen. I remember going to the bathhouses, waiting on 52nd street for this Jewish girl with the big tits to listen to her sing all this 1940s stuff with the big gay blonde at the piano. So when Bette Midler was singing for all of us in towels, we were the ones that got her out of the gutter. We did that. We did that for Cher. We did that for all of them. So I think that one of the reasons Eartha was so large is because we allowed her life story to infiltrate our community and we wanted to give back. And we loved her. We loved her. That's why we lived. I think I just passed out. I think I just passed out from that. Woo, just a minute. I need a breath. Ah! The reason we started this podcast is because Jason and I have been obsessed with Bette Midler since we were about five years old. And I was wondering if you were a fan because of the way you just used the phrase fatuts and peckered all over with little white daisies. Well, I also watched, and I also watched your um, one of your acceptance speeches at I think Human Resources, and you're like, "Oh, you were expecting Bette Midler," and I had to just send it to Nick because you mentioned. <laughs> I remember saying that at something. Yeah, I do remember that. It was like, yeah, I, just, I was just, I was just so amazing. For me, little um, Bette Midlerisms also like sneak into sneak into my vocabulary. I was like an eight year old boy walking around a farm in Michigan, saying all these things that everyone's like, "Where the fuck did he get this vocabulary?" And it was from like the "Mud Will Be Flung Tonight" album, you know? Yeah. Oh God, that was a great album. Yeah, she. There's a great story about Bette Midler. That I wasn't present for this story, but there's a great story about her coming into rehearsal for the one woman show she did about the press agent whose name I can't remember. I'm a terrible Sue Mangers. Good for you. And she comes in to rehearsal and everybody's waiting for Bette Midler. Right. And it's the first day of rehearsal. Nobody's met her yet. And there's, you know, there's a team. Even when you do a one person show, there's a nine, nine trillion people involved. It's never just like one person. 
So people are waiting, script people and producers, executive producers, all kinds of people. And they're all in this big rehearsal room waiting for Bette Midler. And she's not late. It's just everybody came early. And so there's, you know, like this a bunch of people over here near the water cooler and a bunch of people over here near the coffee and some over there and some sitting and some walking over here and some smoking a half out the window. This is in a big, you know, spacious loft in New York City. And there's this lady, um, these groups, uh, group of ladies near the doorway. And they're blah, 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 talking and talking and talking like in hyperspeed. And my friend who's telling, I won't mention her name, uh, who's telling me this story says, so I'm standing there and I'm really annoyed because they're so loud and obnoxious. And I'm thinking, you know, when when Miss Midler comes in here, she maybe she'll need quiet. Like maybe we should all sit down. So she goes, she's stage manager. So she goes, okay, so I think we should all Let's all come and take a seat. Let's all, you know, just kind of gather around the table. So, you know, herding cats, you know what that's like. Mm -hmm. So people are starting to, they're scraggling and the ladies are still, blah, blah, blah. And this one lady is like got wrapped up in this big, like white, like she's taking a shower, like a white turban and a white robe and big black sunglasses. And my friend's going, God, who is this woman? This is going, I'm going to kill myself because she seems to be the leader of the chatter, chatter, chatter <laughs> of the ladies who lunch. So all the ladies, the three ladies sit down. And my friend, who's the stage manager, goes, okay, so um, I, I don't know where Miss Midler is. I'm sure she's on her way. Um, but for right now, why don't we, and as she starts talking, the woman in the turban takes off her turban. Oh, and this red hair goes, and she takes off her glasses. And those big blue aqua eyes come out and she takes off the big fuzzy robe and she's got these this little spaghetti strap thing this is in the dead of winter with her bazoombas hanging halfway out like <laughs> just insane it's freezing cold outside and it's been midler oh, and no. my friend who tells me the story this is what's miraculous about it she said i literally watched this lady this sweet funny quirky little old lady who was just having the greatest time talking to her girlfriends become Bette Midler in front of all mm. of us. This is why these icons, this is why we love them, because these women understand transformation. They know what it means to transform. Cher says it all the time. She always says, "There are when I go home, there are pieces of Cher all over the freaking house. Because she's got to let it go. And as queer people, we know what it's like to armor up so we can face the world. And I think that's what Eartha's oh, – Eartha, when you see all of her interviews, she's talking about the armor that she has had to wear throughout her life. She talks about saying that she didn't belong to any tribe and that she got kicked out of, of her mother's house at an early age because her – And you were very poor yeah. and your mother actually – Passed you on to somebody else? Yes, she gave me away to a family that would use, that eventually wound up using me as a, a work mule. And my mother gave me to this family because the man that she wanted to marry said, I don't want that yellow gal in my house. Which meant that being an Ill Ill illegitimate child and uh, also the wrong color, you are not wanted by the blacks and the whites couldn't care less. So this black family, who had two teenage children, used me as a whatever they could use me as a working person and then i was also uh, by the young gentleman in that family Are you? and she talked about how uh, no one claimed her 
except for herself. She had to claim herself and, 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 and mm. claim her power. And I think that that's something that the queer community has absolutely latched on to. I think you're right. And I think that her ability to traverse is also something we understand. You know, it's not just tragic circumstances it's, uh, and chaos, because every human understands that. Queers are the phoenixes of the human experience. We know how to rise. We know how to come up from the ashes. We did it in the 80s, honey. Listen, all these straight people, all these heteronormative human beings that are going, oh my God, this virus, <gasps> this virus is, and I keep going, listen to me. This is terrible. Absolutely. You're allowed your feelings positively. Let me tell you something about a virus that not only killed my friends, but that no one cared about for years. The government wouldn't even mention it. I mean, it, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't even a. It wasn't even mentioned. No, no one talks about it because, because it was killing all the right people. The reason I mentioned this so many times is that Eartha was one of very few high-profile humans that immersed herself in the HIV community, and so, like I say, I don't think it's just her her history with. Um, surviving chaos. I think it's her ability to move through it, to navigate it, to turn it into a gift, to say compromise. I'm not going to compromise anything. Mm. I've done that. And she experienced that. I mean, she, you know, one of her most historical moments was getting invited to this um, Lyndon B. Johnson dinner for the, uh, you know, for his, his wife, Lady Bird. And they were talking about the war. And you all can look this up. Eartha talks about this all the time. And there's uh, many fun, different, varying accounts of what she actually said. But essentially, many. she was like, but essentially, she just she just said, fuck you all. Because they, they were talking about the wh what's going on with the youth generation and why are they so anti-war. And Eartha just stood up and said her piece. After I heard a lot of people get up and say things like, well, it's very nice, Mrs. Johnson, that you're planting seeds along Route 66, and if you put trees in the center of Harlem on 7th Avenue, I think that would... What was on the invitation? But all of them were catering to the fact that, what do you call that word? No, thorning up to the boss, so to speak. So when I raised my hand, she kept saying, that's all right, Eartha, you will finally get your turn. So I kept raising my hand. So finally, I raised my hand to a point she recognized me. And I said, I think we've forgotten what the subject of this luncheon is all about. And I recited what the subject was. And I said, one of the reasons why our boys are running away from the United States, because they come to me wherever I am in the world, and they tell me what they feel. Our position in Vietnam, they don't like it. We've been there long enough to realize we cannot win this war. It's a silly war. It's an unwinnable war. And we don't want to go. That, that's not that we don't love America, but we don't want to be involved with that war. So I told her what the kids had told me, the boys had told me. And I said, because they, that's why they smoke pot, because they just want to go to sleep until everything is all over. Anyway. 
And basically, and she'll say, I got whitelisted, not blacklisted. I got whitelisted after that right. because I told them that the kids are smoking weed because the government has turned on them and are choosing to kill them. So she has always stuck her neck out for the right causes regardless. And then, and then, like you said, like the Phoenix had rose up and then it's funny cause she didn't do anything for 10 years. Right. But then she did Timbuktu. She came that back. Her comeback. Timbuktu. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got a Tony uh, nomination for it. That's about the gayest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's it's could be more gay. Are you kidding? My God. It was so gay. It was gay. It was, it was Bette Midler sing- and Elton John singing Rose's turn gay. It was so gay. <laughs> <laughs> it is fabulous. You all have got to look this up. There's this great uh, interview where she was talking about Timbuktu and she said the the role that she was offered, it was maybe only the third or fourth or fifth lead, but it doesn't matter because when a, a star walks out on stage, the audience will know who the star is. And that's how I feel every Earth the Project. That's how it is in the wild party. She might not have the biggest part, but she's the star of the fucking show. Oh, yeah. No doubt. There is a clip of her singing on uh, the Tonys and you know, Mandy Patinkin is terrific. Tony Collette is wonderful. There's that, mm-hmm. and the show is excellent. I loved that show, actually. I love the score. I love that show. I loved, loved it, loved show. it, loved it. And then Eartha comes out. And you can actually see how tiny she is when she comes out. You can see that I'm right. She's a little itty bitty human because she's not only shorter than everyone, but she's wearing he- cha cha heels, like cha cha heels. <laughs> like the song. Like the song. And she. The molecular structure of the room has shifted, truly. Mm. And all she's doing is standing and breathing. That kind of stuff, I don't care how you sound or how many lessons you've taken or haven't taken. or To be able to radiate in that kind of true, pure way with such clarity and to still stay in the center of the story, that's... That's a that's a miracle. And the people who were witness to that that night are blessed. So you think the party's gonna last forever. And you'll always fly this high, but that depends. The higher the high, the harder you're gonna crash. Back down when it ends. so much live performance like and that to me like and, and doing that research and that you know she what what nick did she live did she live at the carlisle she performed at the carlisle for a long time right yes, i know that strix lived at the carlisle i don't know did she no i don't think she lived there i think she she performed there she had a, a long-term residency there 
Um, but I, I, I don't believe she lived there. She lived most of the time in Connecticut. I know she had a house in Connecticut with her daughter, which is also where she passed away, but she was a big fan of, uh, her community in Connecticut and very dedicated to like the town that she had bought this amazing estate in and all of that. And, um, the local causes of that town and the arts community there. And she was like an amazing neighbor, apparently. Oh, that's, uh, I believe that. That makes perfect sense, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, if you all also like The Wild Party, on our Patreon this week, in two days from now, you can go to patreon.com front slash for the girls podcast. We're going to be doing a listen through of the soundtrack of The Wild Party and getting into all of our year 2000 feelings and listening to the songs of all the girls and listening to all the Tony Collette numbers and the Tanya Pinkins numbers and the Sally Murphy numbers and the Eartha Kitt numbers. So come over to oh. Patreon and listen to it with us. Yay. Can we talk about the other Broadway production that she was in Follies? Oh, you know, uh, there uh, Stritch has a great, speaking of divas, Stritch has a great line about, and I'm not exactly sure how it goes, but, um, she talks about the song I'm Still Here, and she says, I've heard women in their 30s and 40s sing it, and women in their 50s and 60s sing it. And then she goes, where have they been? So the fact that <laughs> Kit waited that long in her life to sing, because I've sung that song, and I was much too young to sing it. I'm now approaching 60, and I think like I'm starting to, starting to understand that song. Watching her sing, because I've watched her, and you can also go on the YouTube and see her sing this. There's a brilliant version. Watch the one mm-hmm. where she's in the gold yes, dress. Look at how obsessed I am with this woman. I actually know what she's wearing. What is wrong with me? But she, there's a there's a version of her. <laughs> I'm ill. I need some pills. There's a version of her in a gold <laughs> dress singing. Yeah, it's true. Uh, saying, saying, I'm still here, and she understands the 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 nature of the song. The song is problematic, and here's why. It's a list song. It's not a song where you go through anything. It is It is a completely detached, unemotional song. People think it's emotional because you have great actors singing it. But look at the uh, lyrics. Take away the music. Take away the performance. And look at the lyrics. Good times and bum times, I've seen them all in my dear, I'm still here. Good times and bum times, I've seen them all in my dear. Plus velvet sometimes, sometimes just pretzels and beer. But I'm here. I've stuffed the dailies in my shoes, strummed ukuleles, sung the blues, seen all my dreams disappear. But I'm here. But all it is is a list of things I've been through. I've been through this. Yeah. I've been through Shirley Temple. I've been through Amy's yeah. Irish Rose. I've been through that's it. And I'm still here. So you have to be able to infiltrate this song and come at it from your own history. It can't have anything to do with story. That's why right. it was written for Yvonne DiCarlo, another great diva, specifically for her to sing. And when they wrote it for her, it was a dirge. It went dum dum da 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 dum da da da, and she was she kept saying, "This is gonna I don't." And it's actually sung very early in the show. She's like, "This is I can't." She's the one who said, "We need to pick up this tempo mm. because this is an urgent. There's an urgentness. There's an urgency. Urgentness. There's an. Ur- I'm a professor. There's an urgency <laughs> to this song that needs to be." super clear to the audience what kit does 
she not only climbs inside this song, and she not only brings all of her history with it, and you don't even have to know anything about her, but she takes the melody and she improvises the melody. So she takes where you should be going up, she goes down, and where you should be going down, she goes up. Hmm. So she not only understands the emotional through line of the song, like she says to us very clearly, there is no compromise with her. And this song and her are a marriage that's made in heaven. It's glorious. Mm. I slept in shanties, guest of the WPA. And I'm here, danced in my scanties. Three bucks a night was the pay. And I'm here, I've stood on red lines with a vest. Watch why the headlines did the rest. In the depression was I depressed, no way near. I met a big financier, so I'm here. I've been through Gandhi, Windsor, and Wally's affair. And I'm here. Amos and Andy, Mahjong, and Platinum Hair. And I'm here. I lived through Shirley Temple, and I'm here. And, and do you think that because you sent us this, and I love it? It feels like it's a, it's like the counterpart, or not the counterpart, but like the, the uh, the next part is here's to life, her celebrate her next celebration. Talk to me. That's that you can find that also, and look at the one where she's sitting. Uh, and I, it might be the Merv Griffin show, but I, I may be wrong about that. She's sitting on a stool very close to a piano, and it's just her and a piano. Mm-hmm. This is actually what she does best, better yes. than anyone, which is why Orson Welles called her the greatest talent in the world. Like, literally, that's what he said. Not the greatest singer, not the greatest actor, everything. There's mm-hmm. nobody better. It's her sitting on a stool with a microphone and a piano. And toasting us. Because she's not saying, mm-hmm. here's to my life. What she's saying is, look, I know it's been bad. I know it's been large. I know it's been big. I know shit has happened. I get it. I really do. It's true of all of us. There is no one on the planet that isn't cracked and broken. Nobody. Nobody exists in perfection because you see, if you do that, there's nothing to learn. The more cracks there are in us, the more light shines through. So why not celebrate it? And she tells us very clearly, there is nothing that has or is going to happen to you that you cannot turn into a gift. Mm. And the whole song is a toast. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. No complaints and no regrets. I still believe in chasing dreams and placing bets. But I have learned that all you give up 
is all you get. So give it all you got. I've had my share. I drank my fill. And even though I'm satisfied, I'm hungry still to see what's down another road beyond the hill and to do it all again. So here's to life and all the joys it brings. Here's to life to dreamers and your dreams. It's funny how it's perfect. It's perfection. It's perfect. Thank you, the YouTube. Thank you, the YouTube. There's another version of it, too, where she does it on Larry King Live. Not my favorite program to ever exist on this planet, but it's really cool to watch because the camera is so close (laughs) to her face and she can't really... She's in the Larry King studio, so she doesn't have the same... um, She doesn't have any rhinestones on, but it's very, very simple. And it's another just great, great reading of it. And she has this great um, jazz pianist with her. Oh, I gotta watch that. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever seen that. So here's to life and all the joys it brings. Here's to life to dreamers and your dreams. May all your storms be weathered and all that's good get better. Here's to life. Here's to love and here's to you. May all your storms be weathered and all that's good get better. Here's to life. Here's to love and here's to you. I mean, if we would have had YouTube as little gay gay children, it would have been so fucking beautiful because it is really oh. the gift. The gift. Can of you the imagine? Queers. Oh, it oh. would have been beautiful. I just, it's everything. Please. We wouldn't have to be hiding those VHS tapes that we taped off off TV. <laughs> yes. Can I, Alex? Yes. I want to tell yes. you my my yes. I'm still here conspiracy theory though that I was telling Jason, and I'm going to break it on this podcast so that all the casting okay. community can hear it. Check. If I hear that they're going to make a film version of Follies based on that recent London production that happened at the National, and this is what I have to say to the universe, cast Bette Midler as Carlotta so she can get her fucking EGOT. Oh, God, that's a good idea, isn't it? Could you imagine Bette's I'm still here? Idea. No, 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 <sighs> no, no. That's funny. She hasn't sung that song. That's really interesting. I wonder why that's true. Well, maybe, maybe now that she's seventy-five, soon to be seventy-six this year, maybe it's not. Did you see her in Dolly? Four times. Freaking! What the hell? Also, let me say this: my friend Betty Buckley. I saw her Mm. in the LA version of Hello Dolly, and let me just say this. I know she's my pal, but let me just say this. The, her monologue, her Ephraim monologue, every single one of us were sitting in this, I don't remember what the theater was, million seat theater, gorgeous. And she's standing on the lip of the stage. I mean, the same thing happened with Bette Midler too, because you're so, such brilliant actresses. But Buckley came out in a very different way. Every one of us, I swear to you, went like this. <gasps> mm. Literally when she started to talk about the money. 
like, let me go. When she started to say, let me go, let me go, Ephraim, you've got to let me go. We all went, oh! I've never experienced that before. That heartbreak. Just, like she gives, she imbues so incredible. much. Incredible. Yeah, Midler was, was a revelation. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Guys, I thought if this was an Eartha Kid episode, it's become a very I big know, Ben sorry. Midler episode. No, no, no. We That's always make fault. everything I, about Ben Midler. But you know what? Good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you know what? Here's the thing is that with Bette Midler and, and with what – and and, I, and I'm trying to tie this all together because I – Mae West is who you think of as this kind of sassy, jazzy, one-liner uh, sex pot. But so is Eartha. Mm-hmm. Watching all of Eartha, she carried through all of her – even at the very end, this devil-may-care, sexy, purr, cat energy – in a way that I was like, oh my gosh, how much did this inform my queerness? Mm-hmm. How much did this inform my sensuality that I wasn't even aware of? That this very unique person that you don't see, you know, out in entertainment, she was groundbreaking. We haven't even talked about how groundbreaking uh, her just her pure presence being was. And the fact that she was, um, she had that sensuality so down in lock. Do you know what I mean? Fascinating. Well, you have to remember so, too that our divas for uh, uh, for a certain queer generation are are all cis and mostly white. We have Diana Ross, but Eartha Kitt was one of the few black women who embraced uh, most uh, uh, much like Tina Turner, who embraced her African American life and who talked about it. And so for a black woman, especially in the United States, because it was very different over in Europe when she was uh, whitewashed here in the United States, she went to Europe and Mm -hmm. made millions of dollars because they had a completely different idea of race in Europe. So for a black woman to be sexy, to be romantic, to have this much power was very off-putting for America, especially in the 1950s. Remember, Eartha Kitt started in the 40s. She started on Broadway on stage. She was one of the new faces of 1940, blah, blah, blah. So this is like, she's had a, uh, you know, her first big hit was Santa Baby. Here's a black woman. Go go on the YouTube, kids. Here's an African-American lady in this white, gorgeous uh, outfits with fur talking about Santa Claus. That didn't happen in the 1950s, kids. Black women didn't talk about it. And certainly not famous black women. That didn't happen. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby A 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you dear Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Think of all the fun I've missed Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good If you check off 
my Christmas list. Talking about Santa Claus being a sugar daddy. <laughs> exactly. Like, buy me this and get me that and I'll, you know, blow you. Like, that was like, what is she talking? And everybody was like, I love that record. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Also, when she was whitelisted, the CIA put out this dossier on her claiming that she was a sadistic nymphomaniac. Those were the words. And I love that Eartha Kitt never shied away from that. She was like, you want to see a sadistic nymphomaniac? I'm going to record another song about it and another song about it. And then she's like, I, she wasn't afraid. She dove right in. I mean, it's revolutionary to hear that song, Evil Women. Is that how I say that? Is that the title of it? Evil I want to be evil. Is that what you're thinking I of? I want to be evil. I want to be evil. Like something that seeks its level. I want to go to the devil. I want to be evil. I want to spit tax. I want to be evil and cheat at jacks. I want to be wicked. I want to tell lies. I want to be mean and throw mud pies. I want to wake up in the morning with that dark brown taste. I wanna see some dissipation in my face. I wanna be evil. I wanna be mad. But more than that, I wanna be bad. I wanna be Yeah, evil. and that's literally her talking to the or champagne taste. <gasps> champagne uh, taste is uh, my favorite. Uh, uh, beer bottle pocket, you know that that's on. What one? Wait, what one? What one? Champagne taste. Have you heard that? You need to listen to that, darling. Hilarious. You want to take me cruising on an ocean liner to places I long to see? Well, with my champagne taste and your beer bottle pocket, don't forget to write me when you get there in your rowboat, when you paddle across the sea without me. see us dining on caviar and pheasant with descendants of royalty well with my champagne taste and your beer bottle pocket i'll be having pheasant while you're dining with the peasants dunking donuts in a diner without me see she she came at all of her songs through a sense of great power and because she she never like i said she never forgot her heritage and the fact that she was embraced by middle america at the time she was embraced is a testament to who she was truly there's this very beautiful moment in um an interview between her and whoopi goldberg on whoopi goldberg's old uh talk show in the 90s mm. where they both talk about how neither of them was accepted by the black community that they were both seen as odd 
But what I think is so fascinating about that, and I think it would be different today, is that they were being told by executives, record executives, or movie executives in Whoopi's uh, case, that they weren't being accepted, that, oh, Black audiences don't like you, or you're not testing well. And it's before this age of social media where you can actually reach out to your fans, you can actually talk to your fans, you can actually see who is responding positively to you. And there's a different agency now Eartha would have had. Whitney Houston talked about that all the time. And her first three big hits, people before they saw her thought she was a white girl. And when she got uh, an Mm. award at the NAACP, she was booed. She was booed at the American uh, uh, Music Awards. And she was booed when she got a humanitarian award by her black audience. So this is something we have to read. Tina Turner talks about it just as uh, as much when she would say, most of my fan base is white. I don't know why that's true because I sing rock and roll and rock and roll is universal. There is something about, now I'm not black, so I'm talking out of my ass, but there's something about our systemic, and I include myself in this, our systemic racism that is so deep as Americans in all of us that we don't even see any of this. It doesn't make any sense. Like we hear Whitney Houston and we go, well, that's a white lady. Mm. I can tell you what's true for me. I'm, I'm of mixed race. I'm not white. I'm mixed. And my whole life, the one question through my transness and not like before my transition and during, and I began my transition in 1980, long time ago. The one question that's never changed has been, where did you get that tan? Now, the only people that ever ask me that question are white people. People of color, and I'm 59, people of color have never asked me that question. Only white people. Now, why would a white person think I was tan? Why? And if I was tan, why bring it up? Well, because obviously I'm not white. If you look at me, I'm not a white, I'm not my, I married a white human being. And when you put us together, you, she looks white and I look brown, but I sound a certain way. I have a certain modicum of uh, power. I, uh, you know, there is a list of things. I think that we all, I include myself in this, that we all put in a container of whiteness that belongs in the white container and all the other stuff belongs in the other containers. And because in someone else's mind, I, the attributes I project to the world belong in that white container. Well, that I can't possibly be Brown. That's gotta be a tan. And I'm going to make sure, Hey, is that a tan? That's why I get that question. Ugh. And I believe mm. that Eartha Kitt was one of, and like Tina Turner was one of those divas who said, come at, go ahead, come at me, come at me. Come at me. I'm fine with who I am. I'm great with my skin color, great with my size, great with my voice. I'm great with it. So come at me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. I have a little Eartha question for you. Yeah. How do you think Eartha's work, I mean, other than all of the the plethora of uh, inspirational things that we were just talking about regarding Eartha Kitt, Is there a a moment in her work or her music that you think still affects you as an artist today that you think about that kind of like rings with you or that you keep with you? 
you mean something that she's done in her work? You mean professionally something she's done? Is that what you mean? Yeah, or artistically or personally, just like some some bit that you that, that has affected your own work as a as an actor or a teacher. Absolutely. There's a an interview that she's giving. Again, I don't remember who it is, but she's on, she's in her home, one of her homes, and uh, she's talking about about being uh, a parent. And she talks about what it's like raising a child, and she says, "I don't think I was a great mother." A lot of famous women say this, with the exception of Diana Ross, funnily. Diana Ross and her children will attest to it. Diana Ross was strangely like, I was a really good mother. <laughs> like, really? I was a re- and her kids are like, yeah, you, she was. She's not kidding. But Eartha says, in all earnestness, I was not, I was not present and I wasn't uh, attentive and I was, it was hard for me to be loving and vulnerable and I was not a good mother. And they start talking about what it means to be a parent. And she gives this great, not really a speech, but she starts to talk about what it's like to parent yourself and how in order to be a parent, this is genius. It's really profound. In order to be a parent to others, meaning to be of service, you have to practice self-care. You have to be kind to yourself. If you're not kind to you first, you're of no use to anyone. And that never left me. I behaved so badly when I was Mm -hmm. a young person. I was on an enormous amount of drugs. Uh, I was a a hooker for many, many years, a sex worker for many years. Uh, Like I said, I transitioned in the 80s when it was illegal. I spent a lot of time in jail simply because I was going across the street wearing a dress, literally. So, And I was very angry. And I lashed out for many years. And it wasn't until I began to come to a realization that my life was not, that unkindness only begat more unkindness, that I started to go, I really need to take care of myself. Because if I don't do that, I can't be part of the human fabric. And I remembered Eartha Kitt's voice in my head saying that, be a parent to yourself first. That was really profound in my life. I feel like she she always is uh, she always says no one's going to help you until you help yourself first. You, and that that whole thing is like the whole you know. And I think really it's a it's a spin on you can't change anyone until you change you. Mm-hmm. You can't be trying to put out or ask until you actually activate that that which is inside of you. I think that's right. I think we want to be really mindful about you know, changing other people. I don't know that that's really the goal for me anyway. For me, the, the, the idea is that through my actions and my behavior, what I hope to do is to help continue to tell the story of who we are in a way that's about inclusion. That if that means you need to change, that's great. But I don't, I, I, I don't profess to want to go out into the world and change other people. I tried to do that for a really long time and it's a waste of time. So I don't do it anymore. But I really think Kit's idea of, of self was something that stayed with her throughout her entire life and self-care. Okay, so so now normally when we start getting to the end of this, yeah, we ask for a phone call. 
Oh. We, we always say, okay, you're going to call your diva and you're going to talk to her. Yeah. But I think, I think we're just going to give you the, because kids, I don't know if you noticed, but this episode has been going to the church of the divas. <laughs> we have one of the greatest mm-hmm. professors around. I have to tell you, you know, well, first off, if anyone wants to listen to, to a cry, you just gave me a cry cue today. I was listening to your Let the River Run on your album, Being Alive. Oh my goodness. No. And it's just so beautiful. Thank it's you. just so beautiful. Um, and, and also something I just love that you always say is you always say about your students that your students teach you as much as you teach them. And to me, that's a, a, a constant stain in the constant state of wonder. And the, the amount that you've just taught us and given us, I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you how much, but it's so, so thank beautiful. You. Thank you. Uh, You're very welcome. But friend. instead of going out on a phone call, how about we, Oh, how about we go out on this fabulous story that we've been dangling in front of us? Oh, okay. Oh, Lord. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so it's 1980 something and uh, I'm very, very young and it, I, I began, I, I, my transition is like two or three years old, but I think I look pretty terrific. So there was this club called the Bistro, which is downtown in Boys Town in Chicago. And it's in the winter. And if you've ever spent a winter in Chicago, you know the cold doesn't even begin to describe. It's, it's, it's uh, Arctic. It's, it's not, it's not, it's inhuman. It's not even, it, it, small birds die. They just fly out the window and die. <laughs> so I go to the Bistro and I go in this, my white, Norma Kamali, I'm going way back, kids, my white Norma Kamali dance skirt with my platform shoes that were clear and had a goldfish in each one, not a lie, and my, um, <laughs> yep, my big um, uh, uh, Queen Victoria necklace with the big chunky, chunky, chunky jewelry, hair all piled mm. up on the top of my head, 14 pairs of lashes, and lipstick that would make Joan Crawford puke in a bucket. So. I think I look great. <laughs> I'm a tragedy on wheels, but I think I look great. So I go to the bistro in the back alley because I hear Eartha Kitt is going to be there that night and she's going to sing. She's one of my favorite performers. So I'm like, done. So I go, I'm like 19. I can't get into a bar, but I have a fake ID. Now I'm in full bloom here. I have a fake ID. It's of a redhead boy named Chuck. <laughs> but I figure... Because I'm in, this is a true story, because I'm in drag, no one will know. So, and what are they going to do? Check? I don't think so. So, I'm ready. I have my little ID and my bag and my shoes and my goldfish and my lashes and my wiglet. And I go down the alley. And in the alley is this white limo, long white limo. Nobody's there. There's a party going on inside. The disco is blaring. The poppers are flaring. And I'm out getting ready to go towards the bouncer, you know, with my ID ready. And there's this white limo. And, you know, I'm 20. I'm 19, not even, you know, not even 21 years old. So I'm fearless. I'm like a white limo. This is genius. I wonder if I give the white limo driver a hand job if he'll take me around the block. So I knock on the door and I go <laughs> and I knock on it and down the way, because I knock where the driver's seated, down the way, a window goes and I hear hello from the inside. And I go. I wonder if that's 
Eartha. So I creep down with my little goldfish slippers on and I look in <laughs> and there's Eartha Kitt sitting in the back with a white poodle on her lap. She's in all silver, long beaded silver gown. And her hair is like Marge Simpson. It's straight up in the air, like, like an erection. It's just boom, straight up in the air. It's huge. This is the very first time I met her. This is why the second time I met her, I didn't bring this up. You'll see why. So naturally, I'm right. So I'm, I'm like, it, I don't know what to say. I'm out of my mind. And she looks at me again and she said, is there something you need? And I went, no, no, no. I, uh, I, I mean, I didn't want to say I wanted to give your driver a hand job. Like who wants, that's not a great line. So I said, no, 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 Miss Kit. I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I just saw the limo and I thought it was, would you like to come in? I, okay. She opens the door. I'm not kidding. She opens the door. The poodle's sitting there. Poodle's like half asleep. White poodle, little ribbons. She says, have a seat. So I go, oh, okay. So I, this is what happens in my life. So I sit down. She closes the door. I'm in the back of this limo. No one's going to believe this, I'm saying to myself. Before social media. So, because now I would have taken out my, I'm going, sit, smile, bitch, because I'm taking your picture. It's going on Instagram. <laughs> but we didn't have that. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm sitting across from Eartha and her poodle and we start talking. And it's getting close to showtime. And I'm like, don't you, Miss Kit, don't you? And she's lovely. She's funny and she's charming and she's, Sort of, she's intense, but she's not, you know, I'm not backed up against the wall. She's kind and she's telling me a story about this uh, man she's in love with, whose name I don't remember because it was 100 years ago. And it was just amazing. It only lasted about 10 minutes, but it was extraordinary. So I say, listen, I, uh, I don't know when you're going to go on, but I'd really love to do some more cocaine because I'm coming down. And she went, oh, please be my guest. So I take out my little vial. And I do a little bump of cocaine. <gasps> this is not a joke. In front of, in in front front of the goddess. She's sitting her little poodle with her erectile uh, hair. No. And I'm oh. talking for a little while. And then she says to me, I really have to go because it's getting very close to showtime. And I'm now high. So I'm staring at her erected hair <laughs> because I'm no loaded. And I'm staring at it. I'm staring at it. And she turns to me and she says, you really like my hair, don't you? And I went, I, re I really do. Eartha, I really, I really, you really, really like my hair, don't you? I do. It's just, it's so large. I, it's fantastic. How much do you like my hair? I'm like, I can't. There's no words. Here, you can have it. She took it off her head and she gave it to me. 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 And I'm going to say this to you. I kept that hair in a bag in the back of my closet for 15 years. Oh, Yes. This Coke story just turned into like I'm I'm tearing up story really quick. <laughs> that That's the most thing? amazing. I know. I know. So now you know Sweetest. when the second time I met her, I didn't want to go, remember me? I did cocaine in the back of your limo with your dog on your lap. I've got a bag of your hair <laughs> and in I my had closet. your hair in a closet for exactly. 15 years. Want to see it? I know. <laughs> I'm sad that you don't still have that hair and it's not like going to be included in Alex you. Billings so, library. Right. Yeah. So addendum to the story, uh, 15 years later, it's in the back of my closet. I'm moving somewhere. And when my friend Eric, who's the same guy who works at the Gentry was with me and he goes, what is that? And I went, 
oh my God, that's Eartha Kitt's hair. He goes, you're kidding me. You've been telling this story for 15 years and I thought you were lying. I'm like, no, it's right there. So we pick it up. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever kept a wig for 15 <laughs> years, but mm, here's a helpful hint. Don't. <laughs> It just fell. Up. It was like there were things in it. Little call it like voices came out of it. Help me! It was like no, we gotta throw this. <laughs> we gotta get rid of this. So we threw it away. Oh, it's the me- but you know what? It's the memory that will last. And it's that's what book. lasts it's in my book, honey. We everyone Boom. listening to this podcast Boom. buy that book. Buy Alex's <laughs> record on iTunes. Go to the class of the diva. You really should start this podcast because you are way more interesting than either of us. Or and well, I mean, you're the, you're the diva <laughs> encyclopedia. You're the, oh, it's am amazing. I? Yes. 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 It's, it's, okay. this has been such a marvelous fucking conversation. And I, I would, would you ever come back? I'll come back whenever you want me to, love. Yours will be the only one I'll do. Oh. <laughs> hey, when, when the pandemic ends, well, we're the only podcast around. You don't have a choice. That's right. You'll be the only one left. So there you are. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Should, yeah. should we go out on Cha Cha Heels? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that, I think we should end a, an amazing Party in a limousine with some cha-cha heels. Let's, yes, honey. Let's do it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Y'all, y'all, this has been about the greatest episode. This was church. <sighs> yes, yes. Go on and leave us a review on iTunes. We love you. Alexandra Billings, you are a queen. Follow Alex on Twitter and Instagram. Hang out with us everywhere on the internet. We love you guys. We love you, Battle Angels. Thank you for being here. Bye! Bye! <laughs> Here I am, the queen of crime. I'm looking for some action. Wanna have a real good time and give you satisfaction. So don't you mess around with me. You won't know what to do. Cause I'll put on my touch of heels and walk all over you. Give me, give me touch of heels. All I want is touch of heels. Give me, give me touch of heels. If I don't get my touch of heels, I'll walk all I'll walk all over you